Welcome back to Open Disclosure. This is our third week. This is our third episode. And this week we're going to be exploring some interesting topics relating to China. Uh, we're going to cover uh, China-Canada relationships. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is China and Canada. Recently, Canada arrested the chief financial officer for Huawei, uh, Ms. Meng uh, Wangzhou, uh, under request for the U.S. for apparently... Uh, breaking some rules regarding Iran sanctions, so like selling U.S. components to Iran. Uh, this arrest actually led to some unrest in Beijing, obviously, since we've been hearing about it in the news, it's become kind of a big deal. In China, claims that uh, Meng did nothing wrong and that she had. there's no reason for Canada to have arrested her. Following this up, it seems that China has retaliated in, in, the, in that arrest case by detaining two Canadian citizens at first, claiming that they had endangered national security in some way, but the, the reasoning behind it is unclear. One of the, one of the people they were detaining there is Michael Korvig, who is, a parent, who is a diplomat on leave, and the other is Michael Spavor, an entrepreneur. As of yet, they have not been charged, and Beijing has been very vague on the details to those arrests. These two have had limited access to consular services in China, First, who exactly is Meng? Uh, she is the daughter of Ren Zhengfei, uh, founder and president of Huawei. Um, he was also an ex-military officer for the People's Liberation Army as well. Meng has kind of an interesting story behind her too, because recently in 2017, Forbes had actually ranked Meng as 8th in the list of outstanding businesswomen in China, and she was for a while a permanent resident of Canada from the years 2001 to 2009. Aside from those facts that we know from her, she's been known to be a mysterious person and really hasn't made much of an appearance, even despite her position in the media of any sort. Although it was strange to hear, there was some reports on Meng after she had her hearing and found out that she was going to have to go through this whole court process between the U.S. and Canada, and they're still waiting on extradition order from the U.S. to actually continue the extradition process on the Canadian side. She actually stated that she was going to plan to apply to study for a PhD in business administration at UBC while the court process carries on. Another weird thing to note, too, is that Huawei, at around the same time, also donated $3 million to UBC to fund 5G research. I don't know exactly what to think of that, but take of it as you will. But back to our, our main uh, topic of discussion today. So on top of the arrest of Meng and uh, the bail hearing and everything on top of that, so the Chinese officials detained two Canadians, and after that they haven't really been heard much from, they've kind of disappeared into the system. And then recently there was also another, not necessarily an arrest, but they brought back a person by the name of Robert Schellenberg on drug trafficking charges, trying to get apparently 200 kilograms of meth to Australia. He had already had a court decision that was decided of 15-year sentence, but uh, right after the arrest uh, that came through with Meng, the Chinese uh, courts brought him back in, and apparently now they have sentenced him to death. The courts are also able to add a buffer time in there for about a year or two before he's allowed to, or before they take him and uh, sentence him, but. There was no such uh, no such event in this case, so they could technically take him at any time within the next few weeks, or wait even longer to do it at a later time. 
Oddly enough, the Chinese government uh, is claiming that all these arrests and detentions, because they also detained about 13 Canadian citizens recently, they're saying that none of these things are because of Meng's arrest. But at the same time, there are also newspapers that are Chinese-run state official newspapers stating things like, if countries forgot Chinese laws and interests that need to be respected, that Beijing would have to remind them. The editor from this same publication that stated that in one of their articles actually said to another journalist um, interviewing him at a later time that revenge would be far worse than detaining a Canadian if Canada proceeded with the extradition. Now, be it as it may, it seems a little weird that uh, the Chinese government is getting pretty, pretty up in arms about this whole deal when it was an arrest of a chief financial officer on the request of the U.S., and they seem to be lashing out at Canada almost unexpectedly. But that does lead to shed some light on some other issues that may be at play here. Recently, Huawei was denied uh, access to US, Australia, and New Zealand markets regarding their installation of 5G networks. Reason being that they had a issue with national security in those in the event that these systems were allowed to be put up with Huawei technology and equipment. Uh, Canada has not yet put anything forward saying that we would not allow Huawei's technology in the country, but it seems to be moving towards the fact that uh, China is getting a little uneasy that we may be looking towards uh, rejecting Huawei's equipment in the installation of new 5G networks in the future. So these are some pretty harsh um, jabs being thrown around between China and Canada at the moment. China has recently gone to gone as far as to say that there's white supremacy in the West and that this is just an overexcitation of uh, unnecessary fear. They've also singled out Canada saying that their so-called allies are not representing the international community uh, following the Australia, US, New Zealand all coming out to say that they were concerned about the death sentence that was imposed. Um, and to make matters worse, uh, President Trump in the U.S. also threw his input into the situation, saying that he may intervene in the Hmong case if it could help him strike a better deal with China with trade, that's uh, with the trade tensions that are going on in the U.S. right now. This puts Hmong in the position of a human bargaining chip, which clearly is, would be interfering with legal due process, and Trump actually has no authority over. <clears throat> Um, as we continue on into this case between China and Canada and everything just kind of seemed to go out of whack here, there was an interview on Global News with a CSIS, uh, an ex-CSIS official named Andy Ellis, and he claims the situation depicts a more hostile, uh, more of a hostage situation. Canada should have stepped up to the plate a long time ago when it came to making decisions on Huawei equipment in the past when the US and Australia and all those people were jumping on board claiming that there was a security risk if Huawei got involved in installation of these new 5G systems. Basically, the whole issue that's surrounding this potential threat is not necessarily actions of Huawei in the past. The issue revolves around the Chinese uh, law that actually states that Chinese corporations are required to assist in intelligence gathering when requested by the state. Huawei denies that they would be able to force them to give over this information by saying that they're a private company and the Chinese laws don't uh, don't apply to their overseas business dealings. Andy Ellis also went on to state that uh, this is absolutely a threat to national security, what they're talking about. The fact that the Chinese are so adamant about the fact that they want to be allowed to put this to help put this network in with Huawei 
is something of a red flag to be noted. In fact, here's a recording of Andy Ellis's conversation with Global News. The Chinese ambassador came out last week and said there would be repercussions if Canada did not allow Huawei in and ordered Canada to stop trying to recruit international allies. When you hear those threats, do you think there's a risk here to Canadian national security? Yes, absolutely. I've never heard the Chinese make such bold-faced threats before. Uh, they tend to be exercise, you know, a, a little more discretion in the way that they, you know, convey this sort of information. This, this is, as I said, they're playing hardball. And I think it needs to be dealt with. So as you can see, the situation is difficult. And U.S., Australia, and New Zealand, as mentioned before, had banned Huawei. And Britain is actually currently reviewing uh, their position on if they should also ban as well. Um, the U.S. ban focused on equipment from being used in core or critical capabilities on networks where they couldn't route or view data. So it basically means that because Huawei has a huge network uh, solutions company, they are apparently ranked number one in the world for network solutions, uh, like alongside providers like Cisco and uh, other, other companies that provide telecommunications equipment. So this is sort of separate from their whole smartphone industry business, but in the same time, it, in effect, either business. At this time, Germany is also considering a ban. They're also currently reviewing, and Canada is uh, also reviewing as well. There has been no word on where Canada stands currently, and the, and the Prime Minister has had uh, press conferences where he has stated that the, the review will be done in a fair manner, consistent with the, the requirements of the equipment and what Canada considers to be a threat. He's claiming that these political issues in between are not going to affect the outcome of the review, but looking at it from, from the other side of the fence, it would make sense for him to take this into consideration because if the Chinese government is pushing to have Huawei put 5G networks into the country, that alone seems a little bit of a red flag. And we'll go on to discuss later why that might be an issue and why do we even care if they're in those, in those networks. China appears to be leveraging this arrest to force Canada's hand into not banning the equipment. So in playing the devil's advocate, if there is no serious concern that China will want to spy or anything of that sort when installing these Huawei systems, uh, being adamant about having them installed, what would be the reason that China would be concerned about this? The biggest issue that I could possibly think of is for economic protection for the country. It is a huge producer of smartphones and network equipment on an international stage. And being based in China, they are worth about $8.4 billion, which is a large chunk of, <laughs> of dough. Um, the sales also amount to about $85 billion per year. And currently in the smartphone market, they, earn, they own 27% of market share in China alone. It could be argued that if this company is unable to sell network equipment to international communities, that it could affect the economic growth of China, already based on fears of slowing economic conditions in China. Although, even when looking at the numbers and seeing where the sales are around the world, it would seem unlikely that uh, Huawei would be a huge impact on the Chinese economy as a whole. They are a huge economy and there's a lot of different industries that they do well in. So even after considering economic factors, it's easy to still come back and think that Huawei might be assisting the Chinese government in trying to leverage some sort of capabilities in the networks to use later for spying or for other reasons that we don't know of yet. 
it would seem that their insistence to be in the Canadian market and to keep their products in the installations of 5G networks here would be that of close proximity and being able to sort of filter out communications between the US and Canada and other allied countries. What I mean by that is that if the company Huawei does have an agreement with the Chinese or is required by the Chinese to help on intelligence gathering, sort of be like a last resort place to put the equipment in the case that they would still be able to intercept some high level communications between uh, US authorities and uh, Canadian authorities, basically keeping an eye on the two close allies, considering that our, our networks are fairly fairly closely intertwined. That being said, though, there's not, there's not a lot of proof that that's what China is doing. There's never been an instance, or at least not yet, that the Chinese have gone ahead and made use of this law for intelligence gathering. So what are our main concerns considering national security from Canada's perspective? and actually internationally. Security analysts are stating that if Huawei assists in building new 5G networks, keeping in mind that Huawei is already existing on a lot of 4G networks internationally, um, a backdoor could be opened up into revealing data about Canadians as a whole. Chinese national intelligence law, as we've mentioned before, requires citizens and corporations to cooperate with intelligence efforts, meaning that at any time, Chinese authorities could force corporations to cooperate with gathering intelligence it's like siphoning off information from certain systems into their intelligence community and so on. There's other uh, issues with this installation too, like say if Huawei was to be installed into these networks, that would give way to a much more data. On the new 5G networks, there's a lot, of, a lot more data communication, which we're gonna talk about a little later. It would theoretically allow in the future communications between autonomous vehicles, drones, things of that nature, because of the extra data that it can carry. It is intended to push forward the new Internet of Things and be able to tie more devices together more seamlessly, faster, etc. So aside from crazy enhanced speeds of 100 times faster than the current 4G network, there are other legitimate security concerns to be had here. And on top of that, being able to be in our equipment consistently requires that we pretty much sign almost like a lifelong contract with Huawei until this equipment becomes obsolete as well, where we are required to get software upgrades and maintenance that are supported by Huawei. So this raises concerns that Canadians would be obligated to be in a long-term commitment with Huawei. And if things happen to change down the road or there is instances of espionage and anything of that sort, that becomes a huge problem. A lot of critics of the dilemma say that it's too simplistic to think that Huawei and China would risk global reputation of being a corporate ambassador to conduct espionage, but personally I think that that view is a little too simplistic. This is critical infrastructure we're talking about. If there was the possibility of Huawei getting interference into our systems, their intent is not going to be to protect their global reputation. If, if at that point they decide to compromise uh, our systems with their equipment, the intent would then be to either disable or to intercept. And in that case, if you take down portions of a network, you render a potential enemy very vulnerable. So basically what that means is that if China has some interests in Canadian, US, any of those sorts of networks that are reliant on this 5G capability, that at any point China can force corporations like Huawei to either cut ties of communications, completely reroute communications so that they can hear everything that's going on, 
And in a sense, that can be a huge problem. There's a lot of information that would travel across those networks, especially if we get to a point where autonomous vehicles become uh, become a common thing and where they are trying to communicate with each other on roadways through uh, to each other to actual like sensors on the roadway, which are which are not unheard of concepts. If there was the potential to interfere with any of that, you could do serious damage to critical infrastructure in a very short period of time. Now, to alleviate those concerns, Huawei is also saying, again, that they're a private company. They have no obligations to Chinese security laws and anything of the sort. But then you look into cases like Poland, where Huawei actually had one of their sales directors arrested for spying charges. Uh, this director was consequently fired by Huawei, but this isn't helping them in their case at all. If one of their sales directors is willing and capable and got arrested for espionage, who's to say that Huawei won't be liable at another point? I suppose it's kind of jumping the gun there because any country could theoretically participate in that kind of espionage at any company at any time. But the fact that it's Huawei at this point in time, after all this controversy is being revealed to the world, it's kind of crappy timing. So bringing this towards our U.S. counterpart side, since the U.S. was the one that asked for this extradition to take place and for us to arrest uh, Meng while she was on transfer in Vancouver International Airport before uh, heading on a plane to go to Mexico, it's important to take a look at the U.S. side of this. What does the U.S. have to gain from this and why? why are we stuck in the middle or why didn't they do anything about it? Anything along those lines. So looking into the whole U.S. side of the ordeal, some believe that Trump was the one that ordered the extradition request as a way to bring pressure to China to further trade concessions, according to an article by HBR. Although they also note that this is very unlikely, mainly due to the timing of the arrest, because Meng's travel would have been uh, unpredictable and the president would have not known in advance that an arrest was even possible, let alone ordered it to happen. Uh, also, arresting somebody at that level would probably tank trade talks, not actually not make them any better. Others also believe that U.S. has a vendetta against the company and got carried away, and that this is just uh, an overblown issue raised by the administration. Counter to that, though, although it's true that U.S. has concerns about the company, they're not unfounded. Um, as noted previously, the president is an ex-military officer for the People's Liberation Army, uh, so he still apparently has close relationships with the army and Chinese security agencies, although at the same time claiming that they have no ties to the Chinese government. Seems a little sketchy. And on top of that, the company Huawei itself has benefited from Chinese contracts, subsidies, protection, and some reports of government-sponsored hacking of foreign tech companies and the U.S. government. The, that last part has not been wholly confirmed, but even just the suspicion of that is enough to raise flags. The warrant for Meng's arrest also had was out for a bit of time prior to her arrest, and the FBI was tracking her movements and some other executives at the same time. So basically what that's saying is that it's very unlikely that there was any sort of vendetta by the U.S. or that the president himself had ordered it to, you know, boost his efforts in trade. And unlike uh, Trump has stated, he can't actually intervene in any of this. It would be an interference of judicial process. Basically, it all boils down to why is China so adamant about Huawei being in and why is uh, China so upset that we've arrested the CFO when it was on the U.S.'s request. This whole situation is very 
very, very big and complicated, it seems. But the main issue boils down to national security concerns and why they're doing what they're doing. After looking through the facts, after seeing what side of the fence the company and Canadians and and basically what the Five Eyes intelligence agencies are looking at is that there are legitimate reasons to be concerned for national security purposes. Personally, I think that if you're going to go ahead and get a technology that's new, like a 5G technology that's part of critical infrastructure, that it's probably better to go with somebody that isn't as controversial to install that equipment. Yes, relationships can still change over time, whether that be the U.S., whether it be Britain, Australia, New Zealand, whoever, but those countries are much less likely in the long term to have any reason to spy. And in the case that they do spy, it's for their own uh, intelligence purposes. There would be no military action. So that basically wraps up the Huawei CFO China, Canada, US trade dispute thing going on. But there's still a lot that we don't know. And there's a whole review being done. I definitely agree with the CISA specialist, uh, Andy. Uh, that Canada should have been ahead of the game and they should have been ready to respond to this as opposed to wait for something like this to happen and now have to either scramble to figure it out or try and simmer tensions and end up in a boat that they don't want to be in in the first place. Now, I was planning on doing a full section on Chinese technology and science and if they can be the next superpower as well in this episode, but since we got a lot of information on the CFO arrest and Huawei and all that fun stuff and the China-Canada tensions, uh, there wasn't enough time to go over all that. So I'm going to save that for our next episode. So stay tuned for our China Part 2. Can China become a science and technology superpower in the future or are they already? So that's all for Open Disclosure today. I hope you join us next week for our China Part 2. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, any of those places you want to see us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. If you guys have any questions, email us at opendisclosure at silverinspedia.com. Just look it up on the pages and uh, 